Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Grand Lighthouse Coffee. Grand Lighthouse Coffee is the e-commerce business that sells certified organic fair trade coffee, either whole bean or grinded. Chemicals do not touch the beans, and the farmers who grow the green coffee are paid and treated fairly. Coffee beans are made to order so you will get freshly roasted beans no later than seven days after being roasted. Grand Lighthouse also provides memberships for families and businesses depending on how much coffee you purchase per month. For more information and updates, follow like them on Instagram, Facebook at Grand Lighthouse Coffee or visit their website at GrandLighthouseCoffee.com and don't forget to use your promo code EastWest to get 10% off. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Gran Leyenda Tequila. This tequila knows there's no substitute for a great taste. This award-winning and organic tequila is handcrafted and comes in four different flavors. Gran Leyenda takes great pride introducing the world to organic tequilas that do not compromise quality. To learn more, visit GranLeyendaTequila.com. Gran Leyenda, the official tequila of the East-West Football Podcast. Must be 21 and older to enjoy. Please drink responsibly. Whether you're flexing your faith or customizing clothes, Lambs of God Designs is a place to go. Check out the latest merch at lambsofgod.faith. Use the promo code EASTWEST to get 10% off your order. Now back to the show. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for player props. This is how it works. Each prop has a fantasy point total associated with the over or under based on its likelihood to occur. The more points a selection is worth, the riskier it is. Rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Make sure you use promo code EASTWEST when you sign up and you'll receive an instant deposit match up to $50 on your first deposit of at least $20. Download Thrive Fantasy from the App Store google play store or by visiting their website thrivefantasy.com sign up and prop up today scouts overlied on heavily when evaluating talent teams should be drafting for the future and not just immediate needs it all starts with the quarterback position Thank you for listening to the East-West Football Podcast with Jerry Martinez, Kendall Whitley, and now, here is your host, Fidel Barraza. Thank you for listening to the East-West Football Podcast. I am your host, Fidel Barraza, and tonight we bring you a special edition to the show. 
We recently spoke to Jay Crawford of WKYC Channel 3 in Cleveland and formerly of ESPN. We had a great conversation and just felt it deserved its own show. So without any further ado, here is our conversation with Jay Crawford. We hope you enjoy the show. Jay Crawford, welcome to the East West Football Podcast. How are you? What's up, guys? How you doing? Great. Great. Appreciate your time. Happy New Year's time. Eve, Eve. Yeah, Happy yeah. New Year's Eve, Eve. Yes, sir. All right. Jay, I want to start off by getting your thoughts on the Cleveland Browns season so far. I know right now they're in the playoff and they have a huge game against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday. Just want to get your thoughts on that. Well, first of all, I hope they play. Um, you know, they shut down the facility again today. They had another positive test. And, you know, everything is up in limbo right now. So what the league is going to do if the Browns don't play their last game is going to be a huge, huge mystery, huge dilemma for the league. I don't know where it's going. Um, Hopefully they get this thing cleared up and, you know, they get enough guys out of protocol that they can play the game. Um, If they play, depending on who they have, you know, I normally I was on with some guys last night. Normally I give a, a prediction uh, and I have no problem doing that, but this is anything but normal circumstances. Are the Browns going to be without their top four receivers again? Yeah. Um, you know, we know that Sendejo went into protocol today. They're already missing two linebackers. They're missing two starting offensive linemen. I mean, it might be a scratch that the Steelers don't start some of their guys because the Browns are going to be without a number of guys too. Who they're going to be without, we don't know. I, I don't know that I'd be able to give anybody a prediction on this football game with any certainty until Sunday at 1.01 p.m. You know, I just don't know. <laughs> well, well, let's just say that the game does get canceled, postponed for Sunday, but they do play during the week. Now, uh, I believe they, they are at 10-5, and five, right? And they did beat the Indianapolis Colts early in the season, which they that's did. the team that's right behind them. So if they were to win and they, if they were getting the playoffs, do you think they can make a run? No. I don't. I'd love to say I think they can, but I'm just uh, I'm not sold yet on this football team winning a playoff game. Um, They they couldn't go to the one in 13 Jets and win when their playoff life was. That was a playoff game. As far as I was concerned, that was a playoff game and um, they couldn't pull it out. Now, granted, they had, you know, some very key losses and some absences on the on the field, but they're supposed to be able to run the football. They're the third best rushing attack in the game. They've got the best tandem of running backs in football. They had nine carries for four yards in the first half for the game. They handed the ball off 15 times. Baker threw 53 times. It's a recipe for disaster. And, you know, you've got to be able to run the football. That's what's so ironic. You know, the Browns have been able to run the football all year. And in the one game that, uh, you know, Vegas had them a double digit favorite to win before all of the wide receivers went out. Um, They looked terrible. They had no heart. They had no energy. They had no passion. They were outplayed. The jets wanted it more than they did. So I'd I'd say that um, if they're lucky enough to get into the playoffs and that at this point is a huge, if for me, um, I don't see them beating any of the playoff teams. I I don't think there's too many, too many uh, question marks, even if they have everybody back from COVID, there's just too many depth question marks with this team. Uh, let me get your thoughts on Odell Beckham Jr. being a Cleveland Brown next year. Do you think that happens? Do you think they move on from him? Uh, well, we, have, very... we, we have seen the offense kind of, you know, 
play a little bit better without OBJ in the lineup. So just interested to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, they have, but you know, and, and there's been a debate in Cleveland as to whether or not they're a better football team without them. I, I don't buy into that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to play teams with great cover corners when they do. That's when OBJ is critical to have because he can beat the elite corners one-on-one outside of Jarvis. We don't have a receiver that strikes fear into the heart of any defensive coordinator. So I, I just can't, I can't argue the fact that this is a better team um, without o- Odell Beckham Jr. on the field. I just can't, I can't listen to that. Um, you know, he brings drama and that always is an issue. I wish he didn't, but f- from a skill standpoint, I still have him as one of the top 20 receivers in the NFL. And I don't know how a team can be worse for having a top 20 receiver in the NFL. Let's see what happens next year when he's back full strength, healthy, and hopefully in, in the right frame of mind. Mm-hmm. Excellent points, Jay. Thank you so much. Hey, Crawford, how you doing? What's going on with you? What's up, bro? Hey, man. Hey, appreciate you for coming on. I know I bug you to death to come on, but... <laughs> That's all good, man. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. I want to ask you about um, first-year head coach Kevin Stefanski. What are your impressions? Do, do you like him so far? Do you like what he's doing with him? I do. I love what he's done so far. I think the biggest challenge for any new head coach particularly when there's a culture problem and there's been a culture problem inside the Browns facility for 20 years. When a new head coach comes in, particularly one that doesn't have any head coaching experience in the league. And that's all the Browns have ever hired. They've never hired a head coach that had a previous head coaching job. So when you bring someone else in that has low name recognition and not as much cachet as a known commodity does, you have to win the room. And that's hard to do, man. These, these guys are tough nuts to crack. They're, they're professionals. They've seen it all. They've heard all the coaching theories. They've heard all the philosophies, what you have to do. You have to buy in. They, by now, they know that new coach speech by heart because they've heard it. The ones that have been here have heard it so many times. But he did it. Uh, and he did it in a relative short period of time, which was stunning to me. Um, the talent, I thought the talent was here last year when they went 6-10. and 10. They just, you know, Freddie wasn't the guy to corral it and to make it work. So I think so far, Kevin Stefanski has been tremendous. My big fault with Kevin is he is consistently out of whack with the pass run ratio. This is a running football team. Um, When you have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, you should be able to gash defenses at will. The offensive line is the most improved skill, skill group on the football team. Um, and I think that's a testament to Bill Callahan, who makes every offensive line he coaches markedly better. But for some reason, Kevin is just, for lack of a better term, he's past drunk. He's just intoxicated throwing the football. And I think he's done a great job with Baker Mayfield, particularly after the bye. If you look at his numbers pre-bye and post-bye, he's been far better after the bye week. And I think that's when they sort of looked at what they did the first half of the season, made some adjustments. He's trusting himself and his eyes a little bit more. And I think as a result, Stefanski is trusting him a little more, Baker. But you can't be 
53 passes to 15 handoffs. I don't care who you're playing. And it's not like, you know, now they were down 20 to six at one point, but no need to panic. It was early in the football game. It was, there was no need for them to start slinging the ball all over the place. Stay with what brought you there. And that's the run game. And the fact that, you know, they had just 15 carries and I know it wasn't working in the first half, nine rushes, four yards. That's abysmal. Um, but I just, I want to see a more balanced attack. And right now, um, I write a weekly column and six different times this year, I have brought up many times in victory. Why are we throw? Why are we throwing as much as we're throwing? We're a run team. Why are we doing this? And, um, I thought Sunday was the most over-exaggerated example of an out of whack, um, balance between the pass and the run. We've got to run the ball better more. I completely agree there, Jay. And I want to, I want to switch it over to ESPN a little bit. I mean, you know, I just, I just wake up and watch you on first take with Skip Bayless and Stephen A. and My, my guys. Yeah, we had Rob Parker on it about a couple months ago. We had him on the podcast and whatnot. But, um, <laughs> That's have, my dude right there. <laughs> did, you watch, did you watch Undisputed with Skip and Shannon? I got to – I have to be honest. I don't. Um, <laughs> but I'll tell you um, – <sighs> When you, when you do that for, I, I was at ESPN 16 years. I was, I started cold pizza, which became first take. Yeah. I was with that group in that show for nine and a half years. The reason I left it and went to sports center was because I just couldn't take the noise anymore. I couldn't take it. And I love skip and I love Stephen a, but I knew that the show had probably peaked. And I wanted to leave it when I thought it was on top. And from a rating standpoint, we were. Um, and I also just, I mean, I'm partially deaf in my left ear because I sat next to Skip for two hours every day for 10 years. You know, I mean, the, the guy just has one gear and that's loud. And, and I just, you know, I, I, um, I about six months before I, um, actually left the show and went to sports center. I told my bosses, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And they said, give us another year. Um, and I said, I'll try, but I don't know if I can. And I made it six months and there was an opening in the sports center division for a show that was on opposite first take. And it was, so it was my same day part, which I love working early in the day and being done. And, um, you know, once that slot came open and Sports Center had come to me and asked if I was interested, I couldn't jump at it fast enough because those slots don't come open a lot. So um, I took it. And really the last four years, I would say, that I worked at ESPN, the only time I ever had the channel on was to watch a game because I learned after being inside the sausage factory for 10 years 13 years you know when you see the sausage made made it doesn't taste as good because you see <laughs> what goes into it yeah. it was kind of the same thing for me man I just I watched up close I was in every meeting and what I finally came to realize after doing this show for nine years I said this is all a bunch of noise it's all a bunch of dudes yelling that think they know but if they really knew, 
they wouldn't be pimping TV shows for two hours a day on ESPN. They'd be living in a mansion in Vegas, putting their money where their mouth was and making bread, real bread. No one knows. See, Ron Jaworski told me once, this was the smartest thing anybody ever told me about sports television. He said, Jay, the, the big secret of this whole game is none of us really know. We all think we know, but we don't. And if we, all, if we sounded as smart on Saturday as we do on Monday, people would believe us. Because on Monday, they'll armchair quarterback, you know, Monday morning quarterback. And they'll, they'll tell us why things didn't work. But they weren't saying that Saturday before the game. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So Jaworski's phrase was, we're all geniuses when we have the benefit of the results. So think about that for a second. It's, it's, it's brilliant. Skip can come on Monday and say that they didn't win because LeBron passed the ball at the, at, you know, in the last 15 seconds, instead of taking the shot himself. But on Friday, he's saying LeBron's going to have to do everything. He's going to have to be the show. Let's see if he can do it. Mr. Big man. So I just, I learned that <clears throat> those shows are a massive waste of time, particularly when you get older, you're young dudes. So when I was young, I was immersed in it, but the older you get, the wiser you get. And the more you understand that every minute you devote to watching sports on television is a minute less you have to go live your life. So if you're watching two hours of first take every day, 10 hours a week, that's 500 hours a year. Okay. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's 12 work weeks. That's three months of work. And you're watching a television show that didn't make you any smarter because if it did, you'd have quit your job and you'd have been making bank betting games too. These guys don't make any of us smarter. They all think they know before the game. And when the game is over, they're going to tell you exactly why what happened happened. I don't need anybody to tell me that. I can watch it with my own two eyes. So it's, it's nothing against the, the, the guys personally. Look, I, I'm friends with a lot of these people. I, I made a very good living for a lot of years doing that. I've just reached a stage in my life now where any news I want moves on my phone the second it happens, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so that really the digital end of the business has cannibalized the studio shows at places like ESPN and Fox sports there. We used to have to watch you guys are, you guys are too young. You don't know this. When I was a kid, dude, I had to watch the late 11 o'clock news to see if my baseball team won. Now imagine that. Where now, if they hit a home run in the second inning, I get a video push alert on my phone 10 seconds after it happened. I don't even have to invest my time in watching the game if I don't want. I can just, my phone's going to ding anytime something happens for the Cavs, the Browns, the Indians, Ohio State. That's all I care about. I don't care about anything else. So I've just learned that I, I can manage my time better by being my own sports information editor on my phone and with my apps. It's a beautiful thing. 
Hey, Jay, that was awesome. That's terrific. I'll be the first to say I spend a lot of hours in the week watching first day. <laughs> you may want to rethink it. You may want to rethink yeah. it. Because those are hours of your life that you'll never get back. And you know True. what? I've never heard anybody on their deathbed say the following. Damn, I should have spent more time watching first take. <laughs> I really missed out. No one's ever said that. No one's ever going to say that. Go out and live your life. Do real life things, you know. Um, it's just not. It's not as important. And 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 I, I. No one could have told me when I was thirty or twenty five. No one could have told me you're wasting your time watching this nonsense. No one could have told me that. I had to live it and experience it and realize for myself. At the end of the day, none of this really matters. I don't get a ring if they win. I don't get a bonus check if they if 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 Baker makes the pro bowl, no one's ever paid me for being a fan. It costs me money to be a fan. So why do I care so much? A quick story about that. In 2007, the Cleveland Indians were up three games to one on the Boston Red Sox. I was working at ESPN. I flew from New York to Phoenix where my parents live. And I wanted to watch. I told work, I don't know when I'm coming back. If the Indians make the World Series and then one win away, I'm going to watch the World Series with my dad. And when it's over, I'll be back. It could be two plus weeks. They were good with it. They were great to me. Jay, go be with Pops. I got on an airplane. I flew home. I intentionally told my dad, I am not going to turn on my phone when I land. I'm going to go into the airport because the game was going on while we were flying. My dad said, I'm going to DVR it. I'm not going to answer the phone. I'm not going to answer the door. We're going to watch game five like we don't know what happened. Wonderful. So I go, I, I, the plane lands. I get up. Guy behind me recognizes me from ESPN. He knows I'm an Indians fan. He's like, oh, Jay, I'm sorry. I'm like, what are you sorry about? He's like, the Indians. Didn't you see the score? I can't remember what it was now, 12 to 2 or something. They got housed. And I'm like, oh my God, you're kidding me. I wasn't upset that they had lost so much as now I've got to go to my dad's house and sit there with a man dying of cancer and watch a baseball game that I already know my team gets crushed, okay? So it was one of the most important lessons of my life, guys, because as I'm sitting there watching this game, knowing what's going to happen, I'm watching my dad's reaction to it. Now, again, this is a man who's riddled with cancer. And he says, after the first big inning, I think they scored a bunch of runs in the first inning. It was over. It was over. And my dad was like, hey, hey, we've got a potent lineup. We can hold them. If we can hold them to 10 or whatever they had, we can chip away at this lead. We can come back. And I'm thinking, no, we can't. I know we, I already know we can't, but I never told them. Watch the whole game. They lost. But my dad never lost faith. Even until there were two outs in the ninth, he didn't lose. He felt like, hey, we could rally. There was no rally. We lose game five. We lose game six. Now, in the, in the National League, it was the Rockies and the Diamondbacks. One of the reasons I went out there was I was very hopeful that the Diamondbacks would beat the Rockies. So there would be at least two games in Phoenix with the Indians and the Diamondbacks if they won. Well, the Diamondbacks lost too. 
And I knew whoever won the ALCS was going to win the World Series. The, the Red Sox and the Indians were far superior. I think the Red Sox swept the Rockies in the World Series in 07. So I'm watching game five. I'm watching game six. It all comes down to game seven. And I know, now I was born in 1965. Cleveland's last championship was 1964. And all I've said through my adult life was, God, dad, I, I can't wait until we can experience a championship together. That's going to be a life altering event. I've, I've rooted for Cleveland sports teams with you my whole life. And I thought it was going to happen in 07. I really did, particularly because he was dying. And I just felt like it's just supposed to happen. And game seven comes and they get blown out again. And the season's over. And I know that my lifelong dream of watching my team win a championship with Pops is gone. It's done. And I'm sitting there and it's nighttime out in Phoenix. And I'm doing everything I can to hold back tears because I know this isn't the end of the season and the end of the World Series. This is the end of my ultimate dream. I'm not going to experience a championship with my father. So I go, dad, how are you sitting there? This doesn't even bother you, it seems. He's like, hey, well, why, why should it bother me? I just got to watch three baseball games with my son, three meaningful baseball games. We didn't win, but I enjoyed the, the camaraderie. I enjoyed the back and forth. I enjoyed your company. I had to watch the first four with your mother. She's not much of a baseball fan. And I was just, I was marveling at how he was dealing with not just the loss, but the loss of a dream. And he's like, hey, championship or not, I enjoyed this. I got to spend time with my son. Will I make it to April to see another baseball game with you? No. Does that make any difference as to whether or not the Indians would have won or lost? It would have been better if they won, but it wouldn't have, no one's going to take this cancer out of my body. So he got up and he labored his way into his bedroom. And I sat there for 10 minutes just thinking about how goofed up I am in the head that I was placing such priority on a stupid game. And I went out in the back. My parents had a hot tub in the backyard and Arizona sky is beautiful. Anyhow, I just see stars forever. And I must've sat in there for an hour, just laying back, looking at the stars, just thinking about everything, thinking about the first ball game he took me to thinking about how he instilled a love in baseball in me that I still play the game today because of him. He coached me to championships. He was there for my big conquests and he was there for my huge disappointments. Baseball gave me a lifetime love, but my dad gave that to me. So as I'm sitting there feeling sorry for myself that I'm not going to get to experience a World Series win with my dad, I'm kind of I'm, I'm turning a page in my life because I'm realizing I've put too big of a priority on this stuff. I have put too much importance on whether a pro team wins or loses. That's not important stuff. It's important in the moment, but three weeks, three days, three hours after the game's over, it's over win or lose. And so my dad, one of the things that he said to me that night was Jay, Sports have given me and you a lifetime of memories, memories that you'll keep, memories that you're building now with your son. And you're going to enjoy those memories long after I'm gone. 
Sports are meant to enhance our lives, not detract from them. And he got up and he went to bed. And that was it. And I just kept hearing those words over and over. Sports are meant to enhance, not to detract. And I don't know that I've rooted the same ever again. Not to say that I'm not a rabid fan. I scream and yell in the moment. But when it's over, it's over. And I do my best to think back and hear his words. They're meant to enhance our lives, not detract from them. Turn the TV off and go for a ride with your, with your family or go do something that gets your mind off of it, something meaningful. And so that event, coupled with me hearing all of this white noise, yelling and screaming about the games, made me be like, this is, there's got to be more than this. There has to be more than this. So my dad promised me, you will see a Cleveland sports championship in your lifetime. This is what, what I want you to promise me tonight. When it's on the verge of happening, whether it's the Browns going to the Super Bowl or the Cavs make it to a game seven or the Indians make it to a game seven, I want you to put your life on pause and I want you to be with Corey. Wherever Corey is, I want you two to be together and I want you two to enjoy that moment. So in 2016 on Father's Day, on Father's Day, when the Cavs are getting ready to play game seven. After they won game six, ESPN asked me, do you want to stay in Cleveland or do you want to fly out to California and be at the game? And I said, nope, I'm a Cleveland guy. I'm born here. I'll die here. I want to be with the city when they win. And they, all my bosses laugh. They're like, man, you are a diehard. You really think they're going to win? Oh, yeah. They're going to win. I got my dad on my side. I went on Sports Center that afternoon with John Bucigross, and I said, It's a wrap. It's over. The Cavs win tonight. And I don't think I've ever been more sure of a prediction in my life. I had a uh, Larry O'Brien trophy that was made in the replica of the real one, and I'm holding it up on the set of Sports Center and Cleveland fans in the background are going bananas. And I just, I just felt it. So after that hit on sports center, Corey and I walked over to the, because we were broadcasting from the plaza right between the basketball arena and progressive field. We went inside progressive field. They were playing the white Sox, I believe. And I kept telling Corey, they're going to win. I'm not worried. They're going to win. Goes into extra innings. I'm like, they're going to pull it out. Don't worry. The Indians are going to win. The Cavs are going to win. It's a wrap. They get a walk-off extra inning base hit. The Indians win. The city is buzzing. I mean, that, that, that area between Quicken Loans and Progressive was packed. Tens of thousands of fans all day and all night into the next morning. The Cavs are getting ready to win the game. Now, my son had just finished. He's a long jumper, and he was just finishing the NCAA championships in um, – think that year they may have been in Oregon so he had flown from Oregon all the way back to Rutgers where he was training because the Olympic trials were three weeks after the NCAA championships so he's exhausted their indoor season starts in December it's tough going all the way through to June anyhow to the NCAA championships for the outdoor season and then he's throwing another three weeks on because he's going to continue training for the biggest meet of his life the Olympic trials 
So I call him after the Cavs won game six, and I said, I'm staying in Cleveland. I'm sending you a plane ticket. I need you to get on an airplane and come to Cleveland. And he never hesitated. He's like, Dad, I'm there. Now, he had to pause his training. Last thing he needed was another couple hours of flight and back just a week before the Olympic trials. But we were going to go inside Quicken Loans, and we were going to watch it inside on the, on the Jumbotron and feel the energy. So we were together. And when, when Kyrie Irving hits his jump shot, ABC cuts to a camera outside of Quicken Loans Arena in the plaza area where all the Cleveland fans are going nuts. My son and I were standing right by the camera because we were right next to the sports center set, which is where that camera was. Kyrie hits the shot. They take the, the, the plaza shot live and you see a guy in a LeBron jersey jumping about five feet in the air. My son can jump along with being a world-class long jumper. He's also a seven foot high jumper. He's, you see this kid just bounding in the air. That was Corey. And the second the game was over, we embraced. I, when my dad was just a young boy, he was nine years old when the Indians won the world series in 1948. And he said, I remember riding my bike up and down the street, screaming as loud as I can, the Indians are champions. The Indians are champions. He said, Jay, when it happens, I want you to celebrate like you're nine. And I did. I hugged my son. And in that moment, I felt my dad's presence. By the way, Father's Day. I don't think it could have been any more perfect. It wouldn't have been the same. It wouldn't have meant the same if my son wasn't with me. That's what, that's what made it. I mean, yeah, it was great. The cork was out of the bottle. It's the first time I've ever seen one of my pro teams win a championship. I was beside myself with excitement. But it would have been nothing had I not been with my son. So I just, I, the reason I go that long mile to tell this crazy long story is because you have to put sports in its proper perspective. Family is more important. Being with your family is more important. So enjoy the games, let them, let the games bring you joy, but don't let them wreck your life when your team loses a game that doesn't mean a penny for you. It really, it really does. When you think of it that way, it kind of puts it all into perspective. Wow. Well, hey, yeah. that, was, that was great. I think we can just end the podcast right there. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Jay, <laughs> Sorry, guys. Jay, you gave me chills, man. I yeah. mean, <laughs> I mean, I had some questions, but holy yeah. smokes. I mean, and, yeah, fire them away, man. And then, Jay, just, just really quick, just to kind of share something with you, too. Last Saturday, when the Raiders had that collapse oh, at, my at God. the end of the game. Well, I was obviously I was ticked off. I'm a huge I'm a huge Raiders fan, but I see the my, football behind you. Yeah, my my daughter was with me, and she noticed she's three. She noticed I was upset, and she said, "Dad, what's wrong?" Yep. So then I got me. It. I was like, you know what? I'm turning the TV off. I'm gonna play. She wanted to play Barbies. We played Barbies. So you're a good um, man, dude. You're a good man, and I'll tell you, they will feed off of that negative energy. If they they at three, they don't know why Dad's upset. They yeah. just know dad's upset and that makes them upset. And why should we, you know, and you know what, look, I'm guilty of this. When my, I have a son and a daughter, when my kids were little and my team lost a big game, I'm sure I yelled and screamed and ranted and raved around the house. And they must've thought I was a raving lunatic. I wasn't smart enough in that moment to realize that they're looking at everything I do and they're feeding off my energy. 
And it's good that you turned off the television yeah. and that you devoted your energy towards her because that's what she needed in that moment. She wasn't sure. She doesn't know what the Raiders loss means. She has yeah. no idea what that means. She knows what it means when dad gets down on the floor and plays Barbies with her. Yeah. She'll remember that, <laughs> you know, and that was really astute of you to know in that moment that enough was enough. And by the way, has there been a more deflating defeat? I, I know John well, okay? Not just from my time with him at ESPN, but before I went to ESPN, I worked in Tampa, Florida. I covered the team the year they won the Super Bowl. Um, I hate to say this because you may like him, but that dude's a big bag of hot air. He is overrated. The, the Raiders are in a contract with him that they will regret for the next seven years. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm, I'm telling you, and I don't, some people say the games passed him by because he was out of it for so long. I got to tell you, being up close and watching what he did with the Buccaneers when they won the Super Bowl, that was Tony Dungy's team. Tony Dungy was missing one element, fire and brimstone. John brought that. So they had the pieces. They had the Warren Saps and Derek Brooks and John Lynch and Rondé Barber. They had all that stuff. They just needed somebody to scream and yell and get them ready to take the hill. John yeah. came in and was the right guy at the right time. But, you know, as soon as all that was over and it was up to John now to draft the players and select the players. Look, if that was on autopilot when he got there. Once he was in charge of talent assessment and gathering that group of talent together, what's his record outside of that season? It's not it, good. It, it's not good. And, you know, he's a great he was great on Monday night football. He's probably going to be back on Monday night football before very much longer, because I know it's a lot of money to pay a coach to not coach. I would have fired him that night. I'm sorry. And, and by the way, you know, Jaws said, we all have the benefit of the results mm-hmm. to sound like geniuses. I'm screaming at the TV while this is going on. What is he doing? Why wouldn't you forget this nonsense about milk the clock? Let your defense tackle somebody. Score a touchdown if you can score a touchdown. Yep. And I just, I was, I felt like I was watching a train wreck that I knew was going to happen in super slow motion. And you're going to have more of those moments with that guy. I'm, I'm, I hate to tell yeah. you, but he's just not, he's not the answer, not long term. Hey, I, I, I appreciate it, Jake, man. That, that was great. Yeah, absolutely. Points. Yeah. And like I was saying, I mean, you, it kind of choked me up a little bit. Um, was, just going back to that real quick. I mean, was that like a turning point right there for you? Cause I know you said 1000%. So uh, that yep. what you explained with your father. So, yep. I got back on the plane. I went back to Connecticut and nothing looked the same to me. Nothing looked the same. Now, now the second part of that story is because my dad's a baller. My dad was originally diagnosed with cancer 12 years earlier. Wow. He had beaten two different kinds. It came back a third time. The doctor said, this is the one that'll get him. And they gave him six to eight months. Well, eight months was August. He made it to October specifically because he said, no, I got a world series to watch. I'm not leaving here until October. Not only did he make it through the world series, he did not die until October 17th of 08. So he lived another full year. Now it wasn't his quality of life wasn't great for a lot of it. He could barely walk or he was wheelchair bound the last three months. He was in hospice care. 
But the last game we ever watched together, and you guys can look this up. I don't have the exact dates for you, but I can give you approximates. My dad died October 7th, 2008, almost a full year after I had been out there for the ALCS, which I could not believe he lasted another year. In early October, the doctors called and said, it's time. I got on a flight. I told ESPN, I'll be back after my dad passes. They said, take your time. I fly out there. I think it was a Thursday night game. My dad died on the 17th. I think it was the, it was the Browns last game that he saw before he died. It was early in the season. They were playing the New York giants who were the defending Super Bowl champs. And the Browns were like one in three or one in four. And the giants were undefeated and they were playing on national TV. It was a night game. And I thought, Oh my God, this is horrible. The last Browns game I get to see with my dad, they're going to get trounced. Look up the box score. I'm not making this up. The Browns did not punt. They did not fumble. They did not throw an interception. I'm pretty sure, the way my mind remembers it anyhow, they scored touchdowns on every drive except for the one that was right before halftime. They, they, the clock ran out, and they just took a knee. But every other time they had the ball, they had long length of the field, clock-consuming touchdown drives, and they beat the Giants like 35 to 15, something in that, in that it was a blowout, okay? And now my dad's on morphine because he's in a lot of pain, but he's watching the game, and he's, we're having meaningful conversation about the game. And when it was apparent the Browns were going to win, my dad said, Jay, aren't the Giants, didn't they, didn't they win the Super Bowl last year? And I said, they did, they did. This is a good football team. And he said, and if I'm not mistaken, they're undefeated this year, aren't they? And I said, they were until this. And in his mind-transformed state of being on morphine, he said, okay, so the Giants won it last year and they're undefeated this year. Well, doesn't that make us Super Bowl champs then this year? And I couldn't correct them. I said, you know what, Dad? You're absolutely right. We just watched the Browns win the Super Bowl. And he went to bed that night thinking the Browns won the Super Bowl. And I never had the heart to tell him they didn't. And before he ever saw another football game, he passed away five days later. I think the game was on the 12th. It's on the 12th or the 14th. It was just a few days before he died. But it definitely was the last football game the Browns played before he passed away. And it was literally one of the most perfect games I'd ever seen them play, ever. They didn't make a mistake. I, I didn't know what I was looking at. I'm, I'm literally watching the game going, who is this team? How, how in the world, you know, the Giants beat the undefeated Super Bowl, the uh, undefeated New England Patriots to win the Super Bowl just, a, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the previous season. They hadn't lost yet this year, and the Browns trounced them in what was the last game my dad and I ever got to see together. And I thought that was, that was fitting. That was appropriate, you know? Oh man, this is, this is intense. <laughs> it just gets better and better. It's uh, crazy. I mean, it is crazy. I mean, th- uh, have you ever thought about writing a book about all this stuff? I mean, this is great. You know, stuff. every time I tell that story, people, people say you should write a book. You should write that down. Honestly, I haven't, I, I, 
I don't know that my passion for those stories could ever come across in words. Hmm. If I was to put that story down on paper, I don't think that anybody would be moved by it. I don't think that it would have the impact. I mean, look, maybe they don't, maybe it's not impactful to anybody. It's, it was life altering to me. Guys, I, I literally came back and I started questioning like my, my career, my profession. I'm like, I want to, I don't want to do this anymore. I, why am I doing this? It's meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. And, and guys, for a long time, I thought, Hey man, this is a big job that I have. This is important stuff I'm doing here. <laughs> no, it's not. It really isn't. And from that point on, from the 07 World Series on, I just I just turned a page in my life. Sports was still important to me, but far less important. Games were big, but if I had to miss a game for something else that was going on in my life and in my family's life, I didn't I didn't sweat it. I had no problem with it. And as time went on during my years at ESPN, as, as time went on, I just found myself less and less passionate about my job, about what it was I was doing. And finally, when the layoffs and the buyouts came, 17, maybe 2017, I want to say, I had two and a half years left on my contract that they bought out. They, they did that to 125 of us. They, it was a tax write-off. They said, here's what's left on your deal financially. We're going to pay you all of that. We're going to give you your raise when your contract cycles in, in August and again in next August. But you can't come to work because if you do, it voids our tax write-off. We're, we're, we're writing off these salaries as a loss. So none of us could work, not only work at ESPN, but work anywhere. So I had two and a half years to move back to Cleveland. I sold my house. We built our dream house here. This is where I want to be. And I just decided that all of those years that I placed such a high priority on career and profession and climbing the mountaintop, it's a why, you know? And I, I, I joked with you guys earlier, no one ever died. And on their deathbed said, I should have spent more time watching First Take. Well, my dad told me this during our many conversations in his final weeks. He told me, Jay, I know you work a lot. And I know you love your family and I know you love your kids and you're always there whenever you can be for Corey and for Kirsten as well, but be there more because your regret won't be when you're dying that you were there for them too much and that you weren't there for work enough. That will never be a regret. So it just, it really opened my eyes, the way I live my life, the way I, you know, the things that I try to do that, you know, everything. And so when the ESPN thing um, and the buyout happened, I had an opportunity to scan the landscape and see what it was I wanted to do next. And I could have gone right back to another network and right back into the meat grinder that is a live television show every day that is a grind. And I had some other opportunities to do some things that I really love in the place that I really love. And I took it with zero hesitation and I've been doing it now for a number of years and I have zero regret. And if I could go back and do it all over again, I wouldn't change a thing. I would still do exactly what I'm doing today. I've done the play-by-play for the Browns preseason games for the last couple of years. That's been, that was like fulfilling a lifelong dream of mine. 
Um, I do a weekly interview, long form interview show that runs on Fox Sports here in Ohio on the Browns. And I host a daily five o'clock show that's not sports related at NBC here in Cleveland. And it's, I'm having the time of my life. And the thing about working at ESPN is you may be on set on live TV two hours every day, but you're never off. All the other time you're, you're watching sporting events. Cause I don't know when I come in at eight in the morning and we're in our production meeting, I don't know what lame brain topic Bayless is going to want to discuss. It may be the fourth quarter of the jazz nuggets game. <laughs> Who cares? I couldn't care less about that, but skip thinks, you know, Skip's entire life is revolving around the sports sun and everything that happens inside of it. That's why he's been very successful. He's living it every second of every day. Who knows what happens when he's ready to leave this world? I can't imagine, can't imagine he's going to say, I should have watched more sports. I just can't. I can't imagine that. I mean, in a sense, it's kind of truly inspirational. You know, I, I, I mean, I went through a hardship. Uh, I went through a hardship about three years ago, and it was one of those things where I started picking up reading, and I started reading, and I think it was a a, a Chinese philosopher, uh, Confucius. He says, uh, yeah, he says, in this life we have two, we have two lives, and the uh, second one starts when you realize you only have one, and I was like that was an instant mic drop for me. And I realized yeah. I was like realizing like, wow, I've been coasting it all this, all my life. You know, I've been coasting it for about 30 something years and coasting it. Just, you know, I have the easy, I have easy career and stuff like this, but I'm not happy. You know, this is, you know, I'm chasing my dream right now. Um, I, 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 I would like to transition that right now. So like me, that is trying to get into sports. I, I may not want to be in, in broadcast. I actually want to be in sports itself. I love football. That's, that's my preference of choice. Um, what would you recommend uh, maybe an aspiring somebody that's just trying to be in the actual business? What would you recommend a work-life balance to be? You know, well, if, you, if you can just give us like a percentage, how, yeah, how? I, it's really tough because when you're trying to break in to a new field, that work-life balance is way out of whack. Yeah. You know, th- the amount of time that you're spending chasing that dream is so out of whack with the time that you're leaving aside for recreation and for living. Okay. Living. So, you know, for me, mine was 90, 10 for the wow. first 25 years of my career. Wow. I mean, when I, when I, I, Everything I did revolved around my next job or my next promotion or the next show I was going to host. I was chasing, like, I was chasing the idea of my dream. And when I caught it, it took me a number of years to look around, but I did. And I'm like, this is it? Like, this is it? I didn't see the fireworks. I, you know, life doesn't smell like roses and cherries, you know? <laughs> So, you know, you have to be really careful of the things that you wish for and the things that you dedicate your life to. Now, look, I was one of the lucky ones for every guy that goes to broadcast school or journalism school or whatever to get a degree to do what I did. I know what the odds are for every me. There's 50,000 that are now selling insurance or cell phones. They didn't make it to their dream. And I'm not saying I made it because of anything I did or I was 
better than anybody else. When I was in college, there were guys around me that were way better at doing sports broadcasting and play-by-play and delivery than me. But what I think set me apart was nobody had more passion or drive to get there. And I didn't care what it took. For me, I had to live in Hazard, Kentucky for three years to start my career. I didn't even know where that was. I had never been there, but I knew that that was the station that was going to give me my first shot, and that was going to be my launching pad. And so I was willing to, my first job was in news. I didn't want to do news. I hated news. I just wanted to do sports. But that was what the job was, so I took it. Couldn't say yes fast enough. I made made $12,500 a year. I'd never had any extra money. It took me years before I started to do really well financially because the higher up you go in the game, the more they pay you to do less. Yeah. Crazy. So I don't have a formula for you other than work really hard and chase it with everything that you have, but not at the expense of letting what's really important slip away, which is life, your kids, your family. There's jobs will come and jobs will go. Never let a job define who you are or how happy you are. You know, I love your quote, by the way. I've heard it many times. I've seen it on postcards, posters. Another one that is exactly the same thing is that we all have two birthdays, the day we were born and the reason we figure out why we were born. That's great. So it's just like Confucius say, it's very similar. And I've always, when I read that quote, when I hear that quote, when I say that quote, it reminds me that I don't think I was born to be a sportscaster. (laughs) I just don't. I happen to believe that I think I was born to carry on a legacy of being a great father, to carry on a legacy of trying to um, provide everything I possibly can that my family wants. Now my kids are grown and on their own and very successful. And so I feel like when, when, when that happened for me, you know, my daughter graduated from Columbia. She's been at good morning America ever since my son is still training for the Olympics. And he just was hired full time at the Spire Institute, which is essentially an Olympic training center as, as a coach. So for me, I feel like my ship is in port. I've weathered the storms. I've done the hard work. I've achieved what I believe I was set here to do. And that's not to call games or to deliver sports casts or listen to Skip and Stephen A argue whether or not the clutch gene is a real thing, okay? <laughs> so I, I feel now like this stage of my life, my real purpose, my real work is complete. Now I can do something that I want to do, that, I, that brings me great enjoyment with no pressure. If I want to quit tomorrow, I quit tomorrow. So now I'm at a point where I feel like my lifetime of hard work, now I can, this is the phrase I use, now I can lay in the hammock and smell the fresh cut grass. (laughs) I can enjoy it. Wow. Bravo. Bravo. I will say this one last thing, just to, just to end it all, Uh, man. I mean, you, you, you basically stepped into a world of uncertainty. I mean, 
what we would consider uncertainty. I mean, like to, to step away from that. I mean, nowadays we have, you know, I, you know, it's something that I was brought up on. You work hard, you know, you're going to get promoted, you get promoted, you're going to get the house, you get the house, you get the wife, you get the kids, and then you get to enjoy life. You know what I mean? And so my mindset's always been like, I'm going to outwork everybody. You know what I mean? So for me to be able to, like me, I, I have a career and, and, and don't get me wrong. It's a, it's, it's a great career, but I, I I've had that moment where I'm there with the, I'm just there pushing the pin saying like, this is boring. Like I, right. I'm not, I'm not enjoying life. And yeah, you know, you want this, something more. Yeah. This project that, that, that me and Fidel and, and Kendo started up. I mean, this is something that I actually have great joy and pride in, in doing uh, and and keep in mind we don't we don't get paid to do this and and um, sure, uh, but I will say this: it's hard to just say you know what I'm gonna dedicate 110 percent to 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 what we're what we what we what we are building here. Uh, but I will say this: it's kind of hard for me to walk away from that job because you know the job the security of, of pays the, the bills. Yeah, it pays the bills. So. I will say this. I mean, how you did it to to uh, you know to walk into uncertainty to fulfill your life. I, I I would have to I would have to give you praise on that. I don't know how you did it, but if you could share anything about that, just uh, I mean, I was I was lucky though. See, so in my situation, um, having financial security is a completely different thing. You know, if I was 35 and ESPN bought my contract out, then, yeah, I would have gone back to work at another meat grinder job at a network, you know, but I was able to say no to that because I had worked that career for, you know, 16 years at the network level. I just it wasn't for me anymore. It wasn't. And you know what? When I never watch ESPN, um, I never sit down and turn on ESPN unless there's a game on that I want to see. And it, that means it involves one of my teams. If Ohio State's playing on ESPN or the Browns are playing on ESPN or the Indians are playing on ESPN, I'll watch. But I never see the studio shows. But sometimes I'll be in a restaurant or I'll be in a bar and the TV is on and I'll look up and I'll see Sage Steele and Kevin Nagandi, two very good friends of mine. And I'll, I, all I can think of when I see them is, oh, my God. God, I feel so sorry for them. There they are, still on that stupid treadmill, cranking, thinking that what they're doing, because I did too, is so important and such a big gig when it's just not. And, you know, the numbers bear that out. When, when I was young and in the midst of my sports fandom, that was mandatory viewing. You had to watch that because that's how we were informed. That, that's how we learned who won the game. Yeah. Okay. Sports center. Isn't that anymore? Sports center. No, they're not informing anybody. We're getting those stats and scores and plays and video highlights in real time pushed to my phone. All I can think of is how in the world does anybody sit down and host that show now knowing that it is so irrelevant or B watch that show. What are they learning? That's of any consequence. When I watch the game, I turn it off. I don't need anybody to tell me, well, the Browns lost because they turned it over three times. Yeah. Really Mensa, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know why they lost sports fans know this. Yeah. And I also don't need to listen to a, a table full of five voices yelling and screaming before the game 
why the Browns are going to kill the Jets. They were all wrong. Every pundit I watched picked the Jets. Everything. I, I got an alert on my phone from CBS Sports, and it's it's um, their weekly predictions, and it has all their different writers. And I'm scanning through it, and it's it, for the Browns Jets. It's Browns, 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 Browns. I didn't see a single person on there that said Jets. What are these guys all? Are, are they geniuses or are no? None of us are. None of us know what's going to happen. We watch sports because we truly don't know what's going to happen. That's true. I I no longer watch the NBA because I know what's going to happen. It's become a three or four team league that is that the other 26 teams exist. So the four that have a chance to win the championship have teams to beat up on every night. That's it. That's it. And I, I, I have to not know what's going to happen before I invest three hours of my time on a Sunday afternoon. When I know, why would I watch? It's a waste of time. Jay, thank you so much for your time with me. Bet guys. Absolutely, man. Well, Jay, I just want to say thank you. I mean, great conversation. Um, what a way to end the year. This is our last podcast of 2020, and we couldn't have ended it any better. Thank you so much, and hopefully down the road we can catch up again. Very good, guys. Great great talking to you. Happy New Year. I hope 2021 is a whole hell of a lot better than 2020 was. Yes, sir. Sure. Thank you so much. See you guys. And that's going to go ahead and wrap it up for this edition of the East-West Football Podcast. Thank you to everyone that has supported us in 2020. Stay safe and Happy New Year. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed.